Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, church! Good morning. My name's Heather. For those of you that don't know me, um, I have the honor and the privilege to serve alongside my husband, Stephen, as the recovery ministers here at Graceland um, on staff with Jessica and Nathan. I, well, I just pointed at you and said Jessica. Jessica and Nathan. Uh, Jessica, Nathan, and Oscar Bras, who is away preaching um, this week. And just want to welcome you today. We're so glad to have you here with us today. If you'll notice on your sermon notes that you got, the title of the message today is, Can I Get a Witness? And I was thinking, yes. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be fun if every time I said witness, you guys responded with, can I get a witness? No. Um, I ran that by my friend Caitlin this week. She's like, eh, I don't know if that's it. I don't think that's going to go over too well. Um, I'm just kidding. But um, what I do want to talk to you about today is evangelism. And that word isn't as fun and as exciting as, can I get a witness? Um, So I want to talk to you about evangelism because within Christianity, here's what evangelism means. Evangelism is spreading the gospel. Literally the good news with the intent of converting others to faith in Jesus Christ. And there's many examples in the Bible of people who did this. There's Peter and Stephen and and Philip and Saul, who was later called Paul after he became a Christian. And he was actually present at Stephen's uh, sermon. Um, There's many examples in the Bible of evangelism. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. Before we dive in, uh, will you just pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, Lord. We come to you in some complete submission to what you have for us today. We love you so much. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you've been in the South or even better, Tennessee, for a hot minute, you know that we live in what is called the Bible Belt, right? We have so many Christians, we have so many churches on every corner that we can tend to feel like we are in this protected bubble where we don't really need to talk about Jesus, right? Because because everybody goes to church, everybody's a Christian, that's what they say. Even the newscasters on Sunday, if it's snowing, they'll be like, for your drive to church today. We're surrounded by it. And so we don't think we need to do that as much as maybe we might feel the need if we lived in a place that was a little less churched, maybe. You see, I've been in church my entire life. And over the years, I became so burned out on what evangelism looked like to me. It didn't actually make sense to me at all from what I had seen. And I want to talk to you today about what it looks like to be obedient to God's holy word in love. That's a key part. In love so that others want to just run to you and not from you. My hope is that you leave here today not feeling a burden, but feeling a freedom. The Bible tells us that we are to go and preach 
When scripture talks about those who don't know Jesus, it's using words like blind. It uses words like death. It even uses words like dead, death. First Corinthians tells us that the natural man can't understand these spiritual things. When we talk about evangelism, I want to tell you today, friends, a miracle must happen. It's like raising the dead. But we don't think about it in that way. And so we don't get on our knees and beg God for a miracle of evangelism. This isn't just for people who have a seminary degree. This isn't for people who are a great communicator or an extrovert or, you know, those people that just like to hear themselves talk sometimes. It's not just for them. Mark says, go and preach. I heard a pastor put it this way. He said, it's called the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. And I heard, when I heard this following analogy that I'm going to share with you, I'll tell you what, it stopped me dead in my tracks. And here's what it is. If I told you that God said to go to the local cemetery today and get just one. Not a revival. You don't have to do a mass revival or anything like that. Just get one. Who would you bring? I mean, what would you even do? If God said tonight, this is your call tonight to raise someone from the dead, who would you bring? Would you bring a good communicator? Would you bring the band? The band would be great. I'm sure they could usher something up, right? The band would be great. Who would you bring? I would bring somebody that I knew was so close to God. I would bring somebody that I knew really, really knew him and was living a holy, righteous life. Somebody that I know that I could get on my knees together with. We're talking about raising people from the dead. We're talking about blind seeing. That's going to take a miracle. That's going to take a miracle. And I would gather all those who know him most. The Bible says in James 4, 17, to him who knows what to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. For us not to share our faith is a sin. He says, go into all the world. And you might be sitting here today and you're like, go into all the world. That's not the life that, you know, I feel like God has for me to go into all the world. Go into all of your world. We all have this sphere of influence in our life, whether it's at school or at work, or maybe it's in your neighborhood or or local park or the gym that you work out at. Maybe it's family functions. Maybe it's even, dare I say, your church. It's for everyone, everywhere. And we want to build bridges and not burn them. We do that through relationships. You know, God's primary way of reaching people is through people. 
In John 4, Jesus models evangelism perfectly for us. When he meets the woman at the well, nobody wanted to to be seen with this woman. Sometimes I think we can get so worried about being contaminated that we forget what we were meant to do. If we read the text in John 4, 4, it says, He needed to go to Samaria. He needed to go. He knew nobody else was going to go talk to her. He knew that. Effective evangelism starts in our heart. You see, none of the the head knowledge that, that you and I might have or think that we know, it means nothing when you share it if you don't care about people. Do you? Ask yourself that today. Do you care about people? Yeah? When was the last time you engaged with somebody about Jesus? Jesus cared. He needed to go. It wasn't the fastest way. He needed to go because there was a woman who was so run down and she was so burned out. And unbeknownst to her, she had an appointment with Jesus that day. There are people who have appointments with God. And the Lord wants to use you to reach those people. When someone's sick, what do we do? We get on our knees and we say, God, please, we need a miracle. We gather all of our friends that that believe that a miracle could happen, and we get on our knees and we fall before the Lord and we beg him for miracles. We beg him. And I wonder why we don't have that same mindset towards evangelism. Sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we have to go to people who are different from us. You know that term, holy huddle? Who's heard the term holy huddle? We know that term, right? We need to get out of it. We need to step out of it. And I know sometimes we don't want to go. I know that. I'm not preaching at you today. I'm preaching with you. I know. Sometimes we don't want to go, but we have to take a look at people like Jonah. He did not want to go to Nineveh. He's like, if I go to Nineveh and these people repent, then God's going to spare their life. And I don't want God to spare their life because then that's going to be one less enemy. But what happened? The whale swallowed him up. And then he got dropped off. You know the story. Where? On the shore of Nineveh. And a great Revival happened. That was a miracle that happened there. It was a miracle. And one of the, one of the important things in evangelism is that we can't ever assume that, that, that the people that we're talking to have a biblical terminology. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. You know, if you've been around me or you know me a little bit, I despise Christianese. I, I, yeah, it's it, like, and I grew up in the church. And even as a church girl, 
there were things I didn't even know people would talk about and say things. And, and then you, you kind of grow up a little bit and you hear people say things and you're like, they're just, it's just lip service and there's no heart in it. And you wonder if they even know what they're saying. We have to define our terms and we have to speak in a language that others understand. We have to have dialogue and not monologue. Paul was a great intellect. But generally, when, when speaking to unbelievers, he started with his own story. You have a story. We all have a story. One of the most powerful tools in evangelism is your testimony. We stand up here every Wednesday night in this room. We have Celebrate Recovery. And, and every other Wednesday, we have somebody who stands up here and tells their story. And we always say, we're like, come, see what God has done. We're not standing up here to brag about ourselves. We're coming to, to tell you, look, this is what God has done. We're telling our story. And use tact when you do it. Isaac Newton's definition of tact is intuitive knowledge of saying the right thing at the right time. Kick, will you come up here for a second? Now, I didn't tell my kids I was going to do this, but we did have first service, so there's that. <laughs> and Sarah helped me out in first service. We don't have a ton of rules in our house. We do have rules, but we don't have, like, a ton of rules, right? Would you say we do? No, no, not a ton. But what is it that I always say? And 95% of it is kidding, but there's 5% of it that's, like, true. And what do I randomly say to you guys? I'll be like, guys, guys, I have one rule. What is it? Don't be weird. Don't be weird. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Don't be weird. We, <laughs> we need to stop being weird Christians. <laughs> we do. I, I remember, you know, there's, there's guys in Nashville. I remember when I was younger, you know, as a young adult, I would go to concerts and, you know, even Christian concerts, and you'd see those guys standing out there with these signs, and they would be screaming, the wages of sin is death. They're weird. Don't be weird. <laughs> and I heard a pastor say this, and he said, man, if the wages of sin is death, that's true, it's true. But if he only flipped his sign on the back and said, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's where we care for people. The gift of God is eternal life. So don't be a weird Christian. Use your story to take them to his story. Paul said, I don't want to hear anything else among you except Christ and him crucified. And before you know it, you're going to be leading people to Jesus. But here's the thing. We need to know what Christ expects from us. Right? As a follower of Christ, there is a calling of ministry on your life. Every single one of you in here. The, the kingdom is to be received in every area of society. You were called by God and for God. Every single one of us. Listen, he doesn't save his finest treasures and talents for certain people. And if you feel that way today, man, I wish you could get on your knees and see yourself the way God sees you. It's not an ordinary calling on your life. You've been marked 
for extraordinary things. Others may have made you feel mediocre, maybe your whole life. But when you accepted the Lord into into your life as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you that that mediocre person died. And if you don't believe it, I want to encourage you to just declare that over your life today. And Jesus gives us some beautiful instruction in the Bible. You see, I've been on this a journey lately of rethinking tradition and rethinking what tradition has taught me my whole life and really sinking into what the text is saying. And if you hear nothing else today, I really want you to hear this. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Not he might. He will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not remain in me, he said, it's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Scripture, we know him as the vine, and we know that those who are attached to him, those who abide in him, that that those are the ones whose fruit is going to happen. It's like taking a branch. I have a branch here. It's like taking this branch that isn't attached to anything. It's attached to nothing, and and, and putting it down there and, and sprinkling some water on it And you're like, something's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. It's not attached to anything. Nothing's going to happen. Jesus said, this is the way that the Father will be glorified. If you know me and you are attached to me, there's, there's one thing that will actually bring fruit, and that is abiding. That is abiding. I heard a story about a pastor here in America, and he was talking to his pastor friend over in India, and, and he said, I come to your country, and I talk to Christian leaders, and I walk away, and I say, oh, God, I wish they knew you. He says, I don't get a sense that that they really know him. I I get a sense that they know a lot about him, but but do they really know him? And he says, the guy, he wasn't judging here. He's crying. And he says, people in America, they're happy to hear from Moses, but, but they don't know that they can walk up the mountain themselves. Moses climbed Mount Sinai. He spent 40 days 40 nights, he received the Ten Commandments from God. He says they're content to talk to someone who's been up the mountain. And the man is just weeping, and he's like, I don't understand why they don't go up the mountain themselves. Sometimes we're content in our Western lives, and and not that any of this is bad, but, but we can get in this routine of listening to cool podcasts or reading books and watching sermons and taking selfies with 
someone who's been up the mountain. But he's like, why don't they go up? God says, I want you to produce fruit, and I want that fruit to abide. Sometimes, like Moses, we come down and we teach people, and we don't say, and, and I'm including myself in this. I always say, I'm preaching with you, not at you. We, we, we don't say, you got to go up there. You, you, you get to go up the mountain. You, we tell them, this is what I've experienced, and now you go up there. We all have to have our own experiences. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. Jesus said, when you abide in me, and this is his last speech to his disciples, because he wants them to thrive in John 17, 20, 21, that they may all be one, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus says that's what's going to prove it to them. When these followers actually love each other, not just put up with each other, but that they may be one, just as you and I, Father, are one. Just like we are connected, Father. He says, I want the church to be that way. I want the church to be that way. Have you thought about that? Like, have you really thought about that? The people in your church looking at each other and being like one, just like the father and the son are one? I mean, it's right here in his word. Jesus said, I'm praying for that. He said, I'm praying for that. So when that happens, he says, so the world will know. There's so many methods to reach the lost. And Jesus never said, oh, bring in a famous person. No, he said, when you are united, when you are one, then they will believe. I just want us to think about what we're trying to do here when we talk about evangelism. Friends, we're talking about raising the dead. We, we, when we, the church, have that kind of unity, that's when the miracles happen. That excites me. And we'll, we'll watch and we'll see how, how believing these people will, will watch us and, and they'll, they'll start believing their destruction and they'll start believing our salvation. When they see that we are united, they will believe in Jesus. That's how we reach the world. And I believe in personal evangelism. Don't get me wrong. I've given examples in the Bible today. I've talked about how, when, where, who, all that stuff. We need that. We absolutely need that. The future of the church depends on the average person like me and you being able to share and preach the gospel. But I also believe that there's an apologetic in Scripture that says, no, no, no. The world is going to believe when the church really lives like the church and becomes one. I mean, if we're talking about raising dead people, I say, let's give it our best shot. 
give it our best shot. It's time for you and I to declare and witness what Jesus has done. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I'm not equipped, that's not for me, I don't really know enough, you're not you. Not you. For those of you that don't know me, I lived under the darkness of addiction for several years. I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor when I was younger. So you can imagine the shame and the nothingness that I felt. Fast forward to, to um, about three years of recovery, and I started praying and asking the Lord, what is it that you want from me? And I really wasn't too impressed with the church, so I, I really that really wasn't the place I wanted to hang. That's not okay. No one should ever feel that way in the church. And so I started saying yes to these little things that I knew that God was asking me to do. Hey, will you make flowers for this ministry over here? Okay, sure, I can make flowers. Hey, will you bring some food or do a food sign up? Yes, yes, Lord, I'll, do, I'll say yes to them. I can cook. I can bring food. Hey, will you give a little five-minute devotion for us next week? I'm like, wait a minute. I really didn't even want to be here with you guys in the first place. You're asking me to share a devotion. Uh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I spent many years abiding and praying and fasting, and the Lord just started expanding ministry that was just only he could do. And then 2020 happened, and I was like, what? Lord, that doesn't make sense with what you just did over here. Like, am I not hearing you right? What's happening? And at the end of, it was the end of a January, and I was fasting and praying, and I asked the Lord, and on my last day of my fast, I said, I don't even know what ministry, I've already committed my life to full-time ministry, but I don't even know what that looks like anymore right now. But Lord, whatever you want from me, I'm going to trust that you're going to equip me, whatever it is. And the next morning, I get a phone call. And Pastor Nathan didn't yell at me for sharing it in the first service, so I'm going to share it here again. But I get a phone call from Pastor Nathan, and he's like, hey, um, I'm going to be out of town um, on these dates, and I'm sitting down with my list of pastors that I usually call to come in and preach. And I just had this overwhelming feeling from the Holy Spirit that said to call Heather Hule. He's like, does that resonate with you at all? Because you're not on my list. <laughs> I said, yes. Yes, it resonates. And I got off the phone. And I was like, really, God? I can't do that. I can't do that. You see, when we look at the Bible, we see God raised specific people, and he had them in specific places for a specific time to achieve his purpose. And my question today to you is, why not you? Why not you? Now is the time, friends. Now is the time to shine his light in words and in actions. Matthew 5.14 says, we are to be a city on a hill. And to be a city on a hill, that means that we have to speak love to our community. You see, a city requires more than just one light. And Jesus shows us that we matter in a bigger picture than just our own. We have to shine together. We have to speak love together in order to be a city lit up for the 
benefit of all those still in the dark. And let me tell you, there are so many still in the dark. Matthew 5, 14 says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine, you, you. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your story can impact our community. And as we band together, we become this integral part of a city on a hill. Always be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, always be prepared. I want to ask you to make a commitment to climb the mountain. I want to ask you to make a commitment to the Lord to tell your story. And I want to ask you to make a commitment to ask God for miracles. Do you have a neighbor? Do you have a family member? Have you asked God that doesn't know Jesus or has rejected Jesus to ask God for a miracle? Little things that we do, we might not see or know the impact that they have on eternity. I got a letter in the mail about two years ago from my very first Sunday school teacher ever, who was a part of my father's church plant when I was a child. And the letter followed up with a conversation. She's been close to our family for years. She still attends the church today. She's one of the only founding members still there. And she said, a man walked into church this week and he was looking for your dad. You see, my father's not a pastor anymore, but he was. She said, he was looking for your dad, and I don't know how to get in touch with your dad, but he said, your dad knocked on his door one day. And see, when, when I was a kid, my dad used to go soul winning, and he would bring tracks, and he would knock on people's doors, and I would go with him, and I loved it. And sometimes the police would come out, and they'd be like, I'm sorry, sir, but you have to leave. There's no soliciting. And we would walk away, and we would leave. But this man said, he knocked on my door and said I was drinking and my life was falling apart. My wife was about to leave me and, and I told him I didn't want to talk to him. And he left me attracted and he said, he didn't even say anything about me drinking. He said, your life could change today if you want to get to know Jesus. was it he didn't invite him in he left the track we went about our business and we went on to the next place and so many years later I was probably six or seven maybe my daughter's age all these years later he comes in the church and he says he's sober now and he remembers the knock on the door for my dad and the seat the track that he left my dad didn't even know who this man is. There was no impactful interaction that happened, but he did it. He went, he knocked. I'm not asking you to be weird. I'm not asking you to go knock on people's doors. But you don't know the seeds you'll plant if you just step out and knock. Go tell people about it. If you didn't feel comfortable walking down here today, do it at home. 
Get on your knees. Fall on your face before the Lord. I want to pray over you before we leave today. Heavenly Father, God, give us the confidence to be united so that the world will know. Give us the confidence to be a city on a hill. Give us the confidence to share our story, Lord, and give us the trust and the faith to fall on our knees and ask you for miracles, Lord. You are a good God. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.